0: This is a continuation of The State in Revolutionary Periods by Mensor Hekmet. The Bourgeois State in the Revolutionary Period, the case of the Islamic Republic. It is not so complicated to explain the characteristics and functioning of the bourgeois state in ordinary circumstances. The difficulty arises when the bourgeois state has apparently come to power in the course of a revolutionary process and in the name of the revolution. In the beginning, the Islamic Republic was such a state. The phenomenon of the Islamic Republic theoretically confused the larger section of the forces on the left for a long time. Apart from the deeply rooted nationalist illusions of the populists about the quote national bourgeoisie and anti-imperialist petty-bourgeoisie, unquote, and therefore the enthusiasm of sectors of petty-bourgeois socialism for conditional and unconditional support for the Islamic Republic, the very position and practice of this regime in the first years of the revolution, and the practical process which resulted in the establishment of this state, added to the confusion. That the bourgeoisie, particularly after the Tasu'a March, managed to make the slogan of the Islamic Republic into the slogan of the broad masses of the people, that some of the heads of the new regime had, in the previous periods, been among fervent opponents of the monarchy, the offensive of the Islamic against the liberal constitutional assortment of the National Front, The anti-American slogans of the regime and its mass mobilizing ability in the first months of the revolution were all factors which, despite all the facts and observations that existed even before the uprising about the reactionary demands and objectives of the Islamic current, and despite all obviously counter-revolutionary acts of the regime from the day after the uprising, rendered the populist left unable to understand the bourgeois and counter-revolutionary character of the Islamic Republic. Calling the Islamic Republic bourgeois was for a long time considered as leftism by the populists, ra e still holds the same view. The theoreticians of Popular Socialism inevitably looked for the class roots of this state in the economics of society and in the economic interests of non-proletarian strata. The discoveries of various currents about the basis and class allegiance of this state was a real spectacle. The basis of these discoveries was an impaired and economistic understanding of the state and inability in recognizing the basis for the functioning of the bourgeois state in revolutionary periods. From the very beginning, we called the Islamic Republic the instrument of the bourgeoisie and imperialism. In an introduction to the pamphlet The Workers Sit-In in the Ministry of Labor in March 1979, we wrote The daily realities of the revolution and class struggle increasingly provide the ground for the dispelling of petty bourgeois illusions and the mute confidence of the toilers in the present government, the mute confidence which is the main source of the power of the capitalists to sterilize the Iranian revolution. Every day a larger number of workers and toilers pose themselves the question... Whether a government that prevents the promotion of the working class movement and the mobilization of the toiling masses led by the working class can be a national and revolutionary government. Whether a government that takes away freedoms, stifles expression, disrupts gatherings, and calls political parties and organizations which act in the interests of the working class conspiratorial, disruptive and more Catholic than the Pope, can be revolutionary. Whether the government that opens fire on the just march of the unemployed workers in Isfahan and then turns the blind eye is revolutionary. Whether a government that detains conscious workers, creates ethnic, religious, sexual age, etc. divisions among the workers to prevent their unity is revolutionary. No. The present government is by no means the organ of the insurrection and the revolution of the toilers. The historic task of the present government, which from the standpoint of long-term interests of imperialism in Iran is truly provisional, is to save capital and imperialism from the storm of the revolution of the toiling and militant masses of Iran. But what are the tasks of the conscious workers and the revolutionary vanguard of the working class in the face of the above facts? If the present government acts in the interests of capital and the capitalists, if the present government is a provisional and mediatory government which prepares the ground for the return of imperialist reaction, then the task of revolutionary workers would be to set the foundations of an organization which can be the organ of the independent rule of the workers and able to mobilize the workers and the broad masses of the toilers to defend the achievements of the revolution and the decisive defeat of the counter-revolution at the time of the final attack of the counter-revolution, which is bound to begin sooner or later, led by the capitalists and helped along by the conservative and fanatical sector of the petty bourgeoisie, and promoted by their full-fledged military and political specialists, who would not hesitate in massacring millions of the people. With the beginning of the publication of The et Socialism, We explained the theoretical basis of this assessment of the Islamic Republic in a series of articles called Two Factions Within the Bourgeois-Imperialist Counter-Revolution. Emphasizing the basic characteristics of the practices of the bourgeois state in revolutionary periods, and mentioning the individual merits of the Islamic Republic for the bourgeoisie and imperialism, we repeated in these articles that the Islamic regime is a bourgeois state that promotes the policy of the imperialist bourgeoisie, and therefore that of the entire bourgeoisie, in Iran, against the Iranian Revolution. This was the crux of our argument. In the revolutionary period, it is not the economy, but the revolution that is the problem of the bourgeoisie. The establishment of the counter-revolutionary order is the priority for the bourgeoisie, both historically and analytically. The desired state for the bourgeoisie in this period is a state which can utilize the existing political material in revolutionary conditions to finish off the revolution, especially considering that the standard institutions of suppression and control are rendered useless and ineffective. In the years 78 and 79, the bourgeois monarchic state in Iran was in a state of decay. The specter of insurrection was brooding over the bourgeoisie. The liberal current of the National Front and the Freedom Movement was the most active advocate of preventing the uprising and maintaining the suppressive institutions of the existing state, i.e., the army and the bureaucracy. This position of the liberals and their probable ability in compromising the camp of the revolution with such lukewarm demands corresponded to the policy of the big bourgeoisie in Iran, which was in a position of tactical retreat from the surge of the revolution. For a time, the liberals were the most serious and the most thriftworthy alternative for the bourgeoisie in its effort to maintain the status quo and its political supremacy. The Bakhtiar government was the last effort on the part of the bourgeoisie to control the situation through retreat to the position of monarchic liberalism. This was a tactical retreat of the bourgeoisie to outlast the upsurge of the revolution and to prepare for a return to the pre-revolutionary conditions. The uprising, however, upset these calculations. The question now was that of suppressing a revolution which had practically reached the stage of armed resurrection, had neutralized the army and rendered it ineffective, and had armed the broadest masses of revolutionary people. The political platform, the methods and responsibilities of the liberal current, lagged behind the realities prevailing in society. The bourgeois state could now only counter the real revolution in the name of the revolution itself. The Islamic current was suitable material for the formation of such a state, i.e. a bourgeois state, capable of organizing the bourgeois counter-revolution at that particular juncture. We emphasize that the Islamic Republic was the instrument for establishing a counter-revolutionary order as the political precondition for the ordinary production order of the bourgeoisie. The entirely bourgeois character of the Islamic State, independent of which sectors of the society make up its ideology, methods, and composition, is in that this state is the only possible form of organizing the bourgeois imperialist counter-revolution, and therefore the desirable form of this organization for the bourgeoisie since 1979. Some may object, and in fact do object, to our not having declared the Islamic Republic the political representative of big monopoly bourgeoisie. This in fact reflects the same limited economist understanding of the state, the difference being that this time it accepts the bourgeois character of the Islamic Republic and wishes to go the whole hog. The truth is that the Islamic Republic, as we had analyzed, was not the political organization and the organizational representative of the Iranian big bourgeoisie, in the sense that it was not at that point the body for the political expression and the synthesizing and representation of the ideas for the politicians of this class and the instrument for organizing the capitalists. Rather, it was the political state of this class in the revolutionary period. This has itself created a contradiction in the course of the movement of the Islamic Republic. The transformation of the Islamic Republic into a standard bourgeois political regime – i.e. in the standard form that the bourgeoisie assumes at the head of political power to maintain its relations of production – is a complex and difficult practical process. The inability of the Islamic Republic to go through this process is itself an aspect of the present governmental crisis in Iran. To the extent that Iranian society leaves the revolutionary crisis behind, And the state must need find its usual place and function in ordinary ways, the Islamic Republic moves away from practical forms it had assumed in the course of the revolution, and this itself intensifies the regime's political crisis. Again, to the extent that, as we see, the revolutionary crisis continues to exist in Iran, To the same extent, the Islamic Republic finds itself compelled to act in extraordinary ways, which inevitably creates a gap between the state of capital and the ordinary expectations of this class itself. Under such circumstances, we rightly and by means of describing the dialectics of the movement of the Islamic Republic as the bourgeois state in revolutionary times, analyzed the real class characteristic and allegiance of this regime as a bourgeois regime. The Islamic Republic has been the representative and the state of the bourgeoisie in Iran, for it has been, and still is, the only possible governmental form for this bourgeoisie in the middle of the 1979 revolution and the turmoil of the few years after. But should this revolutionary crisis come to an end, if a new upsurge of the struggle of the masses should not bring about new revolutionary conditions in Iran? then the Islamic Republic in its existing form would be sacrificed to this internal contradiction. The Islamic regime would either be overthrown by a new revolution or, in case of the definite end to the revolutionary and political crisis in Iran, it would change unrecognizably. Obviously, the Islamic regime itself would wish to turn into the usual state of the Iranian bourgeoisie, with the slightest change and modification, and to convince the bourgeoisie of total political and organizational solidarity with it but the existence of many bourgeois parties in the opposition which seeks to overthrow the regime, the difficulties of the Islamic regime in attracting the support of private capital is indication that this consensus and practical and comprehensive acceptance has not yet come about in the ranks of the Iranian bourgeoisie. If fear from the revolution and communism at any rate drives all strata of the bourgeoisie into support for the Islamic regime, The inability of the regime in playing the part of a usual bourgeois state lies at the root of the intense existing divisions among the political representatives of the bourgeoisie in Iran. At any rate, whether the Islamic regime can turn into a usual state, or whether it is going to be overthrown by the revolution, the process of the transformation of the society at the time of the revolution into an ordinary society has long been in the offing. In the final part of the article's two factions, we pointed to this tendency in the political conditions of Iranian society. We enumerated the combination of developments initiated by the Islamic Republic and with the support of all strata of the bourgeoisie to put an end to revolutionary conditions in Iran and preparing the ground for the usual bourgeois state to prevail. If anyone is looking for evidence to prove that the Islamic Republic is bourgeois, then even one of the items below should suffice. 1. The sanctifying and canonizing of capitalist property and exploitation, which was questioned during the revolution. Property must be canonized, and what could be more natural than turning it first into the ownership of a state, which was, apparently, the outcome of the revolution? 2. Annihilating the democratic achievements of the insurrection and bringing the masses to submit to political disenfranchisement. Relying on intimidation and religious demagoguery, they denigrated and suppressed the democratic ideals of the masses as Western and imperialistic demands. In the process of the onslaught of the regime upon the democratic gains of the uprising, the bourgeoisie regained its political cohesiveness and authority. 3. The reconstruction of the lasting and standard machinery of suppression, the sanctification and reconstruction of the armed forces, the political police, and the bureaucratic state machinery. 4 forcing the masses to submit to a low standard of living and the squalid outcome of the economic crisis. This was a crisis in which the previous phase constituted the material background to the revolutionary crisis, and whose burden was practically put on the workers' shoulders by the various factions of the Islamic Republic in the name of the revolution. 5. The Sanctification of Imperialism and the Imperialists Rendering the anti imperialist struggle bereft of all meaning, justifying the diplomatic, economic, and military relations of the ruling bourgeoisie with imperialist states and the international reaction. 6. The full scale suppression of the communist movement and driving the democratic protests of non proletarian sectors under the banner of the well behaved liberal opposition. The communists who, in the course of the revolution, had engaged in open and extensive struggle should have been most brutally suppressed for the previous conditions to be restored. Meanwhile, it was necessary that non-proletarian strata, who in the course of the revolution had moved away from liberal leadership, should again be driven back to the level of the slogans of a liberal opposition. This is a sum up of the conditions that the Islamic Republic ardently tried to bring about as a bourgeois state in a revolutionary period. All this prepared the ground for the restoration of the ordinary, non-crisis conditions of the sway of the bourgeoisie over society. To the extent that these conditions are fulfilled, society leaves the revolutionary period behind, and therefore the bourgeois state must, as a part of these conditions, appear in its usual guise. The difficulty of going through this process has been one of the factors which create crisis for the Islamic Republic. Either a new upsurge of revolutionary struggle would bring society into a new phase of its political development, with the overthrow of the Islamic Republic, or the Islamic Republic through transformation or replacement, would be substituted with a state with attributes suited to the running of a non-crisis bourgeois society. The bourgeoisie and the Islamic Republic are, at the moment, being shattered under the press of these two possible courses. The Islamic regime is resisting pressure from the bourgeoisie for peaceful and gradual transformation and replacement of the existing state with the usual one. On the other hand, any effort for a sudden and forcible replacement of this state by the bourgeoisie would fuel the political crisis and once more bring the broad masses of the people who want the revolutionary overthrow of this regime into the scene the revolutionary crisis is not so subdued as to easily make possible for the bourgeoisie a replacement of the existing state, which owed its desirability for the bourgeois class to the necessity of organizing the counter-revolution. Nor is the revolution such an immediate and actual threat as to make the bourgeoisie completely content with the Islamic Republic as the, quote, state for organizing the counter-revolution, unquote, with limited political tasks, and to unite in its support. In this should be sought the grounds for the ambivalent present relation of the bourgeoisie to its own Islamic State in Iran. What at any rate should be emphasized in this part is that the class allegiance of the Islamic Republic, its functioning, and the prospect of its movement should be analyzed in terms of an understanding of the attributes of the bourgeois state in a revolutionary period. The bourgeois state in a revolutionary period is a state which meets the interests and priorities of the bourgeoisie in such a period. The long-term state of the bourgeoisie, more suited to the economy, is not necessarily the same state which assumes the task of defending the interests of the bourgeoisie in a revolutionary period. That concludes this section, The Bourgeois State in the Revolutionary Period. In part 6, we will resume with the section entitled, The Revolutionary Period and the Dictatorship of the Proletariat. I hope the change in timber has been tolerable, my partner's on a new work schedule that requires she go to bed early, and my one and only workstation occupies a corner at the foot of the bed. I am thus speaking softly, with my face pretty much pressed up against the pop filter. That said, you can become a patron of the epoch of incredulity for as little as a dollar a month which grants you access to our discord and early releases of the menagerie. For now comrades, enjoy your epoch.